The Guardian. The Republic is a dazzling literary text. It uses everything that a writer can have at his disposal to persuade you of his point of view. You know, this isn't just pure, arid, dry argument. This is beautiful literary writing. Um, and of course, there's a great irony that literary writing also gets a very bad press in the Republic because poets are banished. It sounds so intuitively plausible to think that if we want to make the best society possible, we create some kind of ideal and then try and approximate to it. But there's actually no reason to think that will work at all. And in fact, there are lots of reasons to think it might lead us completely astray. He, he realises we don't want to try and build an ideal society, I think. And the, the, the disasters of democracy for him, with the death of Socrates in particular, I think, show him what happens when you try and build an ideal society. But he, he's quite clear that we need ideal societies nonetheless. So how are we going to sort of resolve that paradox? This, in case you've ever wondered, is what platonic dialogue sounds like. He's not suggesting, in my view, that this is, this is a, um, a thing that he wishes to be enacted. My name is Benjamin Walker, and you are listening to the Big Ideas Podcast. Last month, The Guardian threw open its doors for an open weekend of discussion and conversation. The Big Ideas was there. Philosophers Julian Bagini and Mark Vernon and The Guardian's Charlotte Higgins joined me for a chat about Plato's Republic. That's the dialogue with the allegory of the cave and the philosopher kings, the one where Socrates famously banishes the poets using an argument, Charlotte Higgins reminds us, that is still in use today. Is it not an argument that the culture can affect people and make them do terrible things? I mean, I don't think, I don't think that's a dead argument. I mean, people clearly are, do talk about the effect of video games on people. And Homer was the grand theft order of his day. <laughs> the big idea in Plato's Republic is this just society. But does he really provide us with a philosophical blueprint for where we ought to live? Or is it more a matter of how we ought to live? People often forget that the, the book The Republic is a dialogue, and it starts with a conversation not about the perfect society, but about why anybody should be good. Or as they, they put it, why we should have just character. Mark Kingwell is a professor of philosophy at the University of Toronto. For him, the key to understanding Plato's just society is that it is itself an answer to a question. Why should one be just in the first place? The core of the dialogue absolutely is about this just city and all the details that, that are notorious and familiar. Uh, but in fact, the larger frame argument is about why you or I as individuals have good reasons to be good people. Socrates' verbal sparring partners in this debate about goodness are Adamantus and Glaucon, and together they map out for us what this just city should look like. And they come up with various things. There's got to be a division of labor. There's got to be common goods and, and trust that are held in common. And then the famous division of labor leads to the idea that there will be these guardians who, it turns out, will have to be philosophers. The just society must be ruled by philosopher kings. That's the logical conclusion, and one of my personal favorite platonic ironies. Socrates, who is supposedly arguing against the idea that self-interest is what drives society, asserts that philosophers, people like himself, are the only individuals fit to rule over everyone else. It's the same reasoning he uses to explain why wisdom is the only attribute fit to rule the human soul. 
So the, the way it's set up is that there's supposed to be a parallel structure in the soul of the individual and in this, the polis, in the, the structure of the city. And it turns out, according to the argument, that there are three parts in each. So in the soul, there's the desiring part, there's the spirited part, and then there's the, the wisdom-loving or rational part. And to be a just person and to realize all the virtues of, of the canonical uh, Greek character, you have to have that wisdom-loving part in control of your soul. So in other words, you have to master your desires. And the wisdom-loving part can annex the spirited part, which is the part that, that might otherwise give rise to anger or um, displays of, of uh, emotion, and use that to control the appetites. So by, by extension, in the city, the largest majority of the population are ruled by their appetites. You know, they're producers and consumers, as we would say today. There's the spirited part, which is the, the military and the police. And then there's the wisdom-loving part, which turns out to be the philosopher kings. And again, if you have those guys in control, they can use the police and army to control the appetites of the population. Now, once you see it that way, you see clearly that a just city, even on that model, is not composed of an aggregate of just individuals. Because the only just individuals are actually the philosophers, the ones who have the wisdom-loving part in control. So even on the blueprint model, a just city has a minority of just people who are in control of a whole bunch of unjust people. The philosophers aren't just the enforcers in Plato's just society. Socrates makes it clear that the philosophers themselves also will have to be forced to do things against their will. Socrates says that the philosophers will have to be forced to rule uh, because they won't want to. And this is, introduces one of the main tensions or instabilities in, in the book, and that is that um, the philosophers have to be the rulers because otherwise you won't have justice, but we're going to have to force them to do that. So it, at that point, the, the cracks are starting to show, and, and we have good reason for wondering whether Plato actually meant what he seems to be saying. Mark Kingwell makes a pretty strong case that Socrates is not serious. In The Republic, um, Socrates says that they will have to kill everybody currently over the age of 10 if they're going to institute this, this just city. So mass genocide of, of anybody of, you know, the age of reason so that you would have a malleable populace to, to go forward with. And when you start adding up the little bits of evidence that are scattered throughout the text, what you see is that it's really about a kind of perverse desire to change the world according to your ideas of, of what is good and true and that that desire actually is, is violent in nature. But even if Socrates was being ironic when he said justice starts with mass genocide, Pol Pot, Stalin, Mao, they all used similar arguments, and they definitely weren't joking around. What Plato really wants us to understand, Mark Kingwall says, is that this desire to remake the world in the name of an idea is one of our greatest flaws. This is a very dangerous thing within us. I'm not, I don't want to externalize it. I think it's, it's part of the human condition to experience that desire. And, uh, you know, the, the genius of Plato is that 2,500 years ago, he knew that that desire was dangerous and he wanted to, to bring that to our attention. So if Plato is not giving us instructions on how to build a just society, what then is he trying to tell us? According to Mark Kingwell, it's a warning. I see this as, as very much a warning to philosophers that they should stay out of politics. You know, uh, Kant, the uh, philosopher Kant would say in the 18th century, uh, from the crooked timber of humanity, no straight thing was ever made. 
and I think that's a, a, a poetic way to remember really the, what we might call the, the philosopher dilemma, which is that on the one hand, philosophy teaches us that we should be aiming for the truth or the good, uh, and we think that therefore once we have it, we should not just keep it to ourselves but somehow go out and change the world. Uh, but on the other hand, every time someone has tried to do that, uh, it's, it's gotten really messy really fast. And uh, this is, uh, you know, it's not, it's not exclusive to philosophers to feel that tension, uh, but it, it's particularly acute when you think you have the truth. Um, and the other uh, thought that occurs to me, the great um, insight from Jacques Derrida, who's writing about the university um, as a model of intellectual inquiry, and he said, every university should, by rights, have as its head a philosopher, because only a philosopher could perfectly guide the university through its, its quest for knowledge. But of course, that philosopher does not exist. So what we should do instead is just have an empty chair. So the, president, the president's chair would always be empty, and that would be the only way that the university could run. Maybe, maybe that's what we need in societies. You know, we have parliaments empty of people, and see what, how that goes. You can read more about Plato's warning to philosophers on The Guardian's website. Search for the Big Ideas series and you'll find Mark Kingwell's piece. You'll also find links to the other Big Ideas discussions and you can subscribe to the Big Ideas podcast. All that at Comment is free. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.